And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Okay, we are in a series called uh, Dysfunction Junction. We're talking about dysfunctional families. And uh, this series is zeroing in on our family issues. And uh, it's a series that really deals with uh, all the dysfunctional things that happen inside of family units. And we have all of these things that happen uh, in our families that uh, sometimes we don't know how to handle. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the, uh, the first family, Adam, the Adams family, and we're looking at their dysfunction. The first family is very dysfunctional, and so we're learning some lessons from, from uh, Adam and Eve and their whole dysfunctional beginning. So we're talking about that, and we're using that as a model. So we're going to talk today about, about uh, decision-making, decision-making in the family. I heard about this, uh, this couple uh, that back in 1902, they got engaged, um, Gullion, uh, it's Octavio Gullion and Andriana Martinez from Mexico got engaged when they were 15 years old, uh, and uh, that was 1902, and they couldn't decide when to get married. So they were engaged for 67 years. It was the longest engagement in history. And finally, at age 82, they got engaged. So, um, so decision-making. It's hard to make sometimes tough decisions. You don't know what to do. Now, this couple had a hard time making a decision when to get married. Once you are married, how do you make decisions? How do those decisions, how are they processed? And uh, so this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I think there's a lot of decisions we make in marriage. Some of those decisions are huge, big decisions. Like, for instance, uh, you know, where to live, where to work. Should we have kids now? Uh, how many kids should we have? Should we stop having kids? When are the kids going to move out? Uh, what school should we send our kids to? Private, public, charter, or Christian school? How many have ever had that conversation about what school to send your kids to? I remember when our kids were uh, getting ready to go to school, we had that process. And then when they graduated from uh, high school, then we had that decision about college. So those are big decisions. Uh, when should we retire? Should we move our aging parents in with us? Should we move our aging parents out from us? Should we change jobs? What church should we go to? That's an easy one, Bayshore. Um, how many activities should our children be in? Should we buy a new car? Um, who's going to handle the money? Who's going to handle the, uh, manage the finances? Uh, then there's, there's smaller decisions, like where are we going to eat out? Uh, where are we going to have dinner at? 
uh, and small decisions that you make every day. And then how about this decision? Have you ever had this conversation in your family uh, between you and your spouse? Where are we, we going to eat Thanksgiving at? Where are we going to eat Thanksgiving dinner at? That's always an interesting conversation. Andy Stanley said that uh, when he and Sandra got married, Andy Stanley's the pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He said when he and Sandra got married, uh, Sandra said, I only want three holidays for my family. I want, uh, I want Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and you can have all the rest. And uh, Andy Stanley said, I got Halloween, Flag Day, and St. Patrick's Day. So decisions. There's all kinds of decisions that we make uh, in our marriage and in our relationships. And, and how we make those decisions, how good we are at making decisions will have a lot to do with how well our marriage does. And if we're bad at making decisions, if we don't do well in processing decisions together, we're going to have problems in our relationship. Just a fact. Uh, And so we're going to look at the first uh, uh, couple, and we're going to look at their story. Uh, They made the worst decision you could ever make. We have the story of them partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and uh, they gave way to the worst. Uh, they had the, the privilege of, of, of making the worst decision ever made in all of history. And we're going to look at this story, and there's two principles in this story that will help us in terms of making good decisions. Now, it's found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Very famous story. You know the story. Uh, and let me just read it to you. It says, uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the, the, the fruit of the tree, was, the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So there's an there's a interesting phrase in there. It says that, uh, that Eve took some and ate it. Eve took some and ate it. Uh, Eve made a, a big decision unilaterally. In other words, she made a big, huge decision that affected her and Adam. She made it unilaterally without a conversation with Adam. That's an important principle. Here's, here's what happens. When we are single, uh, we operate out of a me paradigm But when we get married and we are in covenant relationship with somebody, we go from a me paradigm to a we paradigm. And a lot of couples have trouble with making that transition from being a me-oriented person to being a we-oriented person. And when Eve made that decision, she made that decision basically out of a me paradigm that she was thinking only as a single independent person without actually having a conversation with her husband. What's interesting about the story, what a lot of people miss about the story, and I did for years reading this creation narrative, that, that Adam was standing right there with Eve when she partook of the fruit. Now, that's an interesting thing to think about because a lot of times we think that Adam was off in another part of the garden, you know, uh, you know painting a fence or doing something, but, but Adam was literally right there beside Eve, and here was this person that could have been a resource 
to her that as she made that major mega decision, she could have easily turned to Adam and said, Adam, what's your input? What should we do about this? And she should have gotten some input from Adam. Instead, she operated independently, unilaterally, as an independent unit all by herself. She was living in a me paradigm, not a we paradigm. Because what she did affected Adam, and literally what Eve did and what Adam did affected all of us. Big decisions never just affect you. Big decisions always affect your family. And so you have to think about we and not just me. Now, uh, there's two models for marriage. This is uh, the independent model. We'll put this on the screen here. The independent model is actually uh, two separate units. We've got the wife in her own unit, and then we have the husband in his own unit, and they're living independently of each other. And uh, so in this story in the book of Genesis, we have the independent model work. We have uh, Eve operating as an isolated unit outside of her husband. She's not, she's not operating in tandem with him. Uh, they're not working together. It's Eve all by herself in her own unit, and then uh, husband in his own unit. So this is called the independent model. I would say that a lot of couples that get married in America, a lot of couples that come to Bayshore that want to get married and all that, they come from an independent model way of thinking, that they're just going to be basically roommates, and they're going to go their own separate ways, sort of live their own independent lives. Now, marriage is not supposed to to be independent. It's supposed to be interdependent. Now you say, Pastor Danny, where do you get that from? Genesis 2.24 says this, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become what? One flesh. They'll become one flesh, one unit, not two units. Uh, that, that verse is found uh, several other times in the New Testament. It's found in the book of Ephesians, other places. And so it's not, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a model to show, it's, it's about more than just sex. It's about uh, how you view your marriage, not as separate, but as one. Now, here's the interdependent model. The interdependent model is where the husband and wife operate as one unit. They're not, they're not separate in their own domains. They're not separate units, but they're one unit together. And so now, when you make a decision as an interdependent model, uh, what you do affects the other person, and you have a collective consensus process where you come to a consensus in making a decision. I remember... Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was quite a few years ago. This pastor invited me uh, to go fishing with him, and uh, he said he had a had a boat. And so, uh, you know, I'm not much into fishing, but you know, he's a was a good friend. So I decided to go with him. And I showed up at Record Pond over in Laurel. And when I got there, the boat he had was a little canoe. It's a little canoe. I was expecting, you know, like a bass boat or something with nice padded chairs and all that. But it was a canoe, and the canoe didn't even have a seats in it. So we had, to, we had to get on our knees and had to be on our knees as we fished. And it was this little canoe. And he was a big guy, you know, 250, 275 pounds. And I'm in the front, he's in the back. And, uh, and we're on our knees in the rain in Wrecker's Pond. Not a good memory for me. Uh, we're in this and we're fishing. And I discovered that that, that canoe was so tipsy, if I moved uh, very dramatically, it would flip the thing over. And, and I discovered quickly that if I was not careful with how I moved, it was not just going to affect me, but we all were going to go in the water. 
So when you think about uh, marriage and you think about making decisions, uh, a healthy marriage, spouses that come together under the kingship of Jesus come into this uh, marriage as an interdependent focus that they're dependent on each other, they're interdependent on each other, and they operate as a unit, not as individuals. And so this is called the interdependent model. It's not two separate, but it's one. Uh, it says this, for this cause, say it with me, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Interdependent, one flesh. Not two, but one. Not two, but one. Now here's a definition of uh, uh, interdependence independence versus in, uh, interdependence. Independence is freedom from control. Now, I don't like that word control because uh, we, see, we see controlling people. How many have ever been around a controlling person? That's not a good thing. But let's think about this, freedom from accountability, freedom from accountability, influence, freedom from influence. An independent person They've got blinders on. They want to do what they want to do. They have their own objective. They have their own goals. And this is what they're going to do. And they think independently, free, uh, free from influence. They don't let anybody influence them. But the downside of that, of not letting anybody have influence in your life, you also lose support. You lose aid and the like of others. Now, interdependence is the quality or condition of being interdependent. How many know that doesn't help a lot? Okay. The quality of condition of being interdependent but this does help, or mutually reliant on each other, or mutually reliant on each other. So when you've got uh, Eve standing there, got the tree in front of her, you got this mega decision, this big decision, it's going to affect everybody. Uh, she could have been interdependent, mutually reliant on Adam, and she could have said, Adam, what do you think? And they could have processed together. So that's important. So in uh, Karen and I, in our relationship, we've been married 41 years this coming August. It'll be 4140 now, 41 years this coming August. Thank you. That's all because of Karen's great love and patience. Um, but um, here, here's what we've done. In our marriage of 40 years, uh, our, our relationship has been based on a consensus model. We have pretty much been in agreement, I say pretty much, only two times in 40 years did I remember that there was a struggle about what to do about something, and we had a little difference about the, uh, the, the, what we were supposed to do. So we've basically been in consensus. Now, when I say agreement about things, little things, little things, uh, there's not much of a process about. Like um, the other day, we were going to have, uh, Tuesday this week, we were going to have our men's meeting, my men's meeting at, uh, at our house at 5.30. And then right after that, there was going to be a mission meeting. So we had two meetings at our house and we we're going to have dinner at our house for these groups coming and all that, or the group, the men's group. Uh, and so uh, Karen said in the morning, she said, it was a little warm outside. How about if we close the windows and turn the air condition on? I said, hey, let's not do that. I like the wind is open and I don't think it's warm enough yet. She said, hey, how about if we close the windows and turn the air conditioner on? I'm going to be cooking in the kitchen all day. So, hey, how about if we turn the air conditioner on? I said, hey, how about if we do that? <laughs> well, there you go. Life is good. No fight. We're happy. Little, little, listen to this. It's important. Little things yield on. Little things yield on, big things process on. 
little things yield on. We were going to the movies the other night. We went to, uh, it was actually Friday afternoon. We rode around, had lunch, and had a great time. And uh, we were uh, down in Salisbury, and we went to Make Your Own Pie. Have you ever been to Make Your Own Pie by the theater there in Salisbury? If you haven't been to Make Your Own Pie uh, by the uh, Regal Theater, it's amazing. This sermon is brought to you by Make Your Own Pie today. Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, it's really great. And we go there, and they make your pizzas for you. Tell them what kind of crust you want, what you want on it, and you stand there and just kind of tell them how to make it. It's amazing. It's empowering. So uh, we were, we're standing there, and they said, do you want uh, whole wheat uh, crust or you want uh, f- just plain flour crust? And I said, whole wheat, and she said, white flour crust. So, oh, we got a little thing going on here. He said, are you sure that's what you want? And she said, wheat bothers me and all that. So how about this? Hey, hey, we got white flour crust. I yield, I yield on little things. And, uh, you know, I, I had this guy one time in the church. He, they, they literally came to marriage counseling for probably a year, you know, every week. And then they would come a couple times a week when things were really bad. And, uh, and he, was, uh, he was an intense guy, intense and so one day I took him out to lunch. They just had a big fight and all that. And I said, you know, I said, you know what the problem is? The problem is you die on every cross. You die on every cross. You make every issue a battle and you have to get your way on everything. And you, lo- you use up your influence and you use up your leverage for big things. And I said, you've got to learn to yield. Now, the other day, I was down to, after the movies the other night. I went and got a new pair of jeans. So these are these jeans I have never had. I've never had stretchy jeans before. They're stretchy. You know, you can wear like two sizes smaller than you normally can. You know, these are like 28s, you know. I'm telling you, that's a big lie right there. But these things are stretchy. And I put on the size I thought I wore, and I was like too baggy. So I put these like on. I'm feeling good. And they're stretchy, and they're not feeling tight. How many remember the old jeans before stretchy jeans and when you would wash them and put them in the dryer? You could barely walk, you know? You're like, you can't even, you can't bend over. You know, you're just way too tight. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, this is profound, what I'm about to say to you right now. Marriage is like stretchy jeans. You've got you to gotta yield. You've got you to gotta stretch. And uh, here's, here's something to remember. Rigid people ruin relationships. Rigid people ruin relationships. If you're rigid, got to be right about everything, then you are going to ruin a lot of relationships. Because at the end of the day, we've got to yield in our relationships. I was thinking about the Old Testament when, when, when uh, Abraham and Lot were debating over the land. Abraham said, hey, Lot, you pick out whatever land you want. You take whatever you want. And he picked out the best part of the land. And after, after Lot left, the Lord said to Abraham, look around. I'm going to give you all the land. I'm going to bless you. God blesses you when you're flexible. So learn to be flexible about little things. Little things you process and uh, or no, little things you yield on and big things you process on. Now, when you think about this uh, relationship, the problem here was Eve did not turn and talk to Adam. Adam was right there. It was so easy for her to consult him and say, Adam, what should I do? What do you think I should do? What's the right thing for us to do, Adam? And she could have easily done that. Now, why don't we, why don't we seek advice from people that are close to us? Why don't, we, why don't we talk to our covenant partner, 
partner, our spouse, about major decisions we're going to make. Why don't we do that? Sometimes it's simply because of what I talked about earlier. It's this sense of independence. I want to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. If you want to do what you want to do all the time, you should stay single. If you want to do what you want to do all the time, you should stay single. But if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to become a godly person through the process of working with another person, then you should get married because the biggest change agent in your life will not be in coming to church 40 times a week, which is good. I hope you do come to church. The biggest change agent in your life is when God puts you in covenant relationship with another person that you have to yield on and forgive and grow and learn to serve. That's what really helps us to grow. Now, here's what's important. When we ask somebody for input, we value them. There's nothing like somebody uh, asking us for our advice. When they do that, it makes you feel amazing. Like, oh my gosh, you want to know what I think. You know, when, when a wife turns to her husband and she says, honey, what do you think about this? And uh, boy, all, the, all of a sudden, she's, she's showing him respect. She's showing him honor. She's valuing him. It's when she's unilaterally, like Eve did, unilaterally doing whatever she wants to do, that kind of like makes him feel not very important, makes him feel not very valued. And same thing's true of a, of a wife. When a husband uh, is, is processing something, he turns to his wife and he says, honey, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? What's your, what's your input on this? Uh, Karen and I were walking around the mall the other night. You ever had the wants, something you want? I mean, you know, hey, I'm glad I'm not filthy rich. I mean, I'm blessed, but I'm not filthy rich. You know the downside of filthy rich people is they can get whatever they want to. And uh, how many have got some things that you can't afford yet you want, want one day? How many have got some of those things? And that maybe you are all filthy rich. Look at this. Everybody, if you, how many got something you want? I know you're in church. I know you just want Jesus. But raise your hand if there's something else you want. Wow. So we're processing about this thing I've been kind of wanting. And we're talking about it. And we're processing it. And the more I listened to her, we talked about it. And we walked around looking at this thing. You know, and hmm, I wonder how that's going to work. We're walking around looking at it. The more we talked about it, the more it sensed maybe this isn't the right time to do that. Maybe this isn't, isn't the right time to do that. So processing and, and learning to work with somebody. But when somebody asks you for your input, you're honoring that person, you're valuing that person, and you're making that person feel special. Now, here's a verse of Scripture uh, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5. 33. Ephesians 5.33. Ephesians 5 is a very controversial passage on marriage. It talks about submission uh, and all of that. Uh, there's uh, two different emphases in the book of, uh, in, in chapter 5 of, uh, of Ephesians. The one emphasis is the husband is to love his wife, and the, and the husband has, uh, in, in, in the relationship, he has uh, at certain moments when there's a decision that has to be made after he's processed, and like I say, 99.9% of the 40 years that Karen and I have been married, it's been consensus-based, consensus-based. We've always been on the same page. Two times we, we, we struggled. One time was when uh, we were going to move to Florida, and uh, I was going to go to Bible college, and uh, she was struggling with that. We talked about that. We processed that, and uh, her tail wasn't wagging on that decision. She wasn't happy about that. And uh, she didn't disagree. She just struggled with it. And I felt strongly we're supposed to do that. And so uh, we talked about it, and we processed, and we threw our stuff in the car, and we moved to Florida. And, uh, and she'll tell you today 
that that is one of the best decisions we ever made. She said we made lifelong friends, and we also, our marriage grew uh, incredibly during that time because uh, we were isolated from family. She was the prima donna in her family. I was the prima donna in my family. I was the oldest. She was the youngest. My parents thought I was the best thing since sliced bread, and they were right. And my, uh, I told my mother on a Mother's Day, I said, Mother, you're the reason I turned out so amazing. I told her that. And uh, she laughed. She got a little laugh out of that. But uh, I was kind of special, and she was special, and we were these independent people. And we, and we went to Florida, and we, we were isolated from our family, and we didn't have a lot of money, but we had to grow and we had to survive, and we learned to pray together. We learned to work together, and uh, what was two became one. And she'll tell you that that decision was a great decision, but it was a struggle. Uh, and one other time uh, about buying a house, we've had to process that, and we've always been basically in consensus, consensus almost 100% of the time, but there's two times in 40 years that there was a little bit of struggle on that. And so here's what it says. However, each of one of you must, it's talking about the husband here, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, uh, and the wife must respect her husband, and the wife must respect her husband. So there's a must love from the husband. Basically, leadership in the family is a shared thing, but when there's a push comes to shove, a decision has to be made, God puts the responsibility on the husband to squeeze the trigger and do what's right for the family. This is not about, hey, I'm the husband, so I'm going to get that boat I want. I'm going to get that boat we can't afford. Uh, uh, that's, it's not about that. It's about loving your wife, loving your family, what's best for your family. And when I decided that we should move to uh, Pensacola and we talked about that process, I felt like that was the right thing for our family. And it really turned out to be a good thing. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Uh, so here's, how does the respect your husband work? Respecting your husband, and it's literally the word phobio, it means to hold in fear, to tremble. That doesn't help us here. Uh, it also means, it also means, and in this context it means this, to hold in awe, to hold in awe. Wow. So when you're, and you're asking your wife, or you're asking your husband for some in, input and some in, in, insight on something, and you go, wow. That's amazing. How many think I'm stretching a little bit right now? Uh, <laughs> ah, you hold him in awe. Honey, that's, I didn't realize I should get the gas at the cheapest gas station. That's amazing. How did you think of that? But, but it's, it's to hold in awe. It's to respect. It's to, it's, to, it's, to, it's to really value that person. So that's very, very important. So why, uh, why sometimes in, in the case of Eve, like Eve didn't turn and ask Adam what to do? Uh, why does that happen sometimes? If it does happen, if she turns to him, it shows that she values him and respects him. Uh, and if the husband turns to the wife and says, honey, what do you think we ought to do? It shows that you value and respect your wife. So it's that value, it, it raises the value. But sometimes it happens this way. The reason it doesn't happen is because someone, one of the spouses has made really poor decisions in the past really poor decisions in the past. And here's what happens. When I make a good decision, my credibility goes up. When I make a bad decision, my credibility goes down. When I make a good decision, my credibility goes up. When I make a bad decision, my credibility goes down. And the reason that when Karen and I listen to each other 
and we make decisions. And if I suggest something, the reason I have credibility is because in the past, I've made good decisions that's been good for us. It's been good for us. Uh, the guy that forces the boat that they can't afford and gets them in financial trouble, his credibility goes down. And his leadership, it doesn't matter what label you put in, on him. You can call him husband. You can call him king. You can call him emperor. He has no influence because he's made poor decisions. But when you make good decisions, your credibility goes up and your influence goes up. When you make bad decisions, your credibility goes down. And so when uh, Karen and I first got married, I was 19 years old and she was 20 and uh, made not good decisions. You know, we're just, I'm just basically a 19-year-old idiot that was married, you know. And so learning to make good decisions, praying for wisdom, maturing, growing, caused me to begin to make good decisions. And because I make good decisions, my credibility goes up. Now, uh, say this with me. Good decisions increases my credibility. Bad decisions decreases my credibility. You've heard me tell this story. I've told it many times, and forgive me if you've heard this 20 times. But when uh, we used to live next door to the, the church uh, in a mobile home when the kids were little, uh, Tim, we had this wagon for Tim, and Tim loved to ride in this little wagon, this little red wagon. So I would get him, in, get him in the wagon and pull him around, and he just loved it. And he used to love for me to run and pull him running in that wagon. He'd say, Daddy, go fast, go fast. And so I would pull him, and he would just laugh. And one day, uh, we're out in front of the house, and Karen's inside working in the kitchen, and I have Tim in the wagon, I'm pulling him, and Tim says, he said, Daddy, run, Daddy, run. And so I'm pulling him, and we're running, and he's laughing, and we hit a pothole. And the front uh, wheels of that wagon went down, and Tim went flying out of that wagon across the grass and got dirt all over his face, and I mean, it was ugly. First thing I did was turn around to see if Karen saw... <laughs> what was going on. I'll tend to Tim later. I need to check on Karen. And far as I could tell, she didn't see it, you know. But you know, funny thing about that. I, Tim wouldn't get in that wagon anymore. He wouldn't let me pull him in that wagon. In fact, if he was sitting in the wagon, when I came home in the car, he would get out of the wagon. Bad decisions affect our influence. So I want to be a husband that prays for wisdom. I want to be a husband that leads out of a sacrifice and out of love for my wife, not out of ego or wanting my own way. Because the Ephesians model in chapter 5 in Ephesians is about a husband that loves his wife and cares about his wife. Now, you want to see an interesting thing, and I don't have time to go through all this. An interesting uh, uh, illustration of this is found in the, in the story of, of Joseph and Mary in the Christmas story. Do you realize, now, I, there, I'm going to balance this out as I tell this story, but um, in the Christmas story, the angel Gabriel appears to, to Mary and speaks to her about the conception of Jesus, and then the angel no longer speaks to Mary the rest of the Christmas narrative, but he always, preached, he always speaks to Joseph, and Joseph leads Mary to safety time and time again. First, the, the, the angel doesn't tell Mary. And the angel always tells Joseph, Joseph, go to Egypt because Herod's gone berserk. And when Herod dies in Egypt, he says to, he says to Joseph, it's time to go back. God's always speaking to Joseph. 
Now, the principle is not that God doesn't speak to women because he certainly does. But the principle is, is that God has called men to work in tandem with their wife to make good decisions, and the good decisions are made always to protect the family. Always to protect the family. Now, I want to put this uh, quote. I'm out of time. Uh, Oh, gosh, you know, I spent all this time on Eve, and I got two minutes, and I didn't even mention Adam. Okay, let's get to that real quick. Two minutes for Adam. That's terrible. That is unbalanced right there. Uh, Here's Adam right here. Adam is standing right beside her, and he doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't open his mouth. He has a responsibility to speak up and to say, Eve, no, no. But he just stands there like a husband that's abdicated his leadership, and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak up. He's like George McFly in Back to the Future. You ever see George McFly in Back to the Future? I'm just not very good at confrontation. A man has to have the courage to lovingly speak up and to say what needs to be said in a loving way. And I believe, I'm just going to say this, I believe that America is filled with men that have abdicated their voice and their family, and you need to lovingly speak up and say, honey, that's not a good idea. And if you wives would like a husband that will be led by the Spirit to speak up for you, would you say a big amen? Amen. That was pretty good. It's mainly men that said amen, but I appreciate that. That was really good. How many, say that again, how many think that's a good thing for your husband who loves you enough to say, honey, that's not a good thing to do? Say a big amen right now. Now let me put on, uh, as I close here, let me put a quote on the, this is a, this is my favorite quote about marriage by Matthew Henry, uh, who is a great old commentator. Here's what uh, Matthew Henry says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Wonderful quote about the balance of marriage. Now, I was thinking about what is, what is a good sport to uh, use as a metaphor for a healthy marriage. And here's what I thought. I couldn't think of any sport other than the three-legged race. Here's a picture of couples doing the three-legged race. And uh, here's what marriage is. Marriage is learning to work together, learning to listen to each other, learning to operate as one, not as two, learning to lean in and to lovingly make good decisions together as you work in tandem with each other. And so, look at, look at these couples. They're all laughing. They're all having a good time. And I believe that as you go through life together, as you go through life with your spouse, you go through life with your, with your husband or with your wife, and you, and you face all these decisions, uh, big decisions, little decisions, that little decisions you yield, big decisions you process, and you come to consensus and you make good decisions that can be good for your family. And husbands have that extra responsibility where the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, husband, love your wife. And your, your leadership and your guidance always comes out of the context of love and care. Let's uh, lift our hands together. Just lift your hands to the Lord. And the word of uh, the Lord in Proverbs is a wise person. Uh, 
wants insight. A wise, you rebuke a wise man and he'll add to his learning, Proverbs says. So I hope that every husband, every woman, every man that's here today, that you'll be a wise person. You'll be willing to add to your learning. So God, we pray over us that our hearts would not be stubborn, would not be closed, but that our hearts would be open to receive uh, uh, direction and guidance from the person that we're in covenant relationship with. And we pray for those that are uh, single moms or in a single state of life. We're grateful that you're with them, that your grace is with them for this season of their life, and you're watching over them and guiding them and helping them. So we pray your blessing. And if you're here today and you're with your, with your spouse, would you take your spouse's hand? Just take your spouse's hand if they're next to you and not somebody else's spouse, but your spouse's hand. And uh, lift, our, lift that hand up right now. And I want you to say with me, Lord God, I thank you that you've given me a partner to help me to make good decisions so our family can be successful in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering.